This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, because it's baseball season, uh, we here at the Talk of Fame Network thought we'd throw you a curve and see how you handle it. Because this is the Talk of Fame Network with Clark, Rick, and Ron. You've heard that before, but it's not your normal Talk of Fame Network program. Nope. This is our summer vacation talk. Yay! Where we take, yeah, we take the vacation and the show does not. No, so how does that work? Well, easy. For the next four weeks, we're going to replay some of the best interviews and shows we've had in the past year. Shows will be here, but uh, no, we won't. In fact, guys, you might want to clue in our listeners as to where you're going to be while these programs are on the air. Gooseman? A little travel, a little baseball, a little golf, and lots and lots of that Texas sunshine. God. He's been everywhere, man. He's been everywhere. Okay, Ron, exactly. where are you going to be? Well, I'm going to actually be doing what all these uh, players and coaches, when they retire, say they're going to do. Spending time with my family, which I actually am going to do. Uh, yeah, we're going to go to Europe for a couple of weeks. Looking forward to that. Whoa. I'm going to murder a few golf balls, hopefully, and probably some trees and, and small animals in the forest. Uh, but not with a gun, with a golf ball. Uh, and otherwise, I'm going to avoid... Any mention of Tom Brady, which means I can't call you, Clark, for the next <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank God for that. Um, you know, I will have returned from Canada, um, going to Quebec City. Uh, that is, I don't know, are Americans still welcome there? I don't know. Um, but uh, I'm going to start on, well, when I get home, what else? Repairs and improvements to a 150-year-old home that our parents gave us. But um, that's otherwise known as the money pit. But when we return, um, we're going to start right in on the Hall of Fame's class of 2018. I'm talking about us, Talk of Fame Network. We talk to members of that class, at least those who plan to show up and predict what's next for the senior contributor classes of 2019. And both of you, I know, are on the senior committee. Are the two of you among the five selectors going to Canton in August? Make your choice, Ron. You going? Uh, yeah, this year I'm in. Uh, my 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 great and good friend the Goose Man is not going to be there because he has okay. other more important things to do, other duties to carry out. But uh, it's uh, it's another tough list. Okay, uh, well, and we can only bring in one guy out, which is always. And so the, the the contributor list is tough too. And Goose, you and I are on that committee. I was there last year. You were not. I know they rotate voters. You going this year? I'll be there, picking up All two, right. picking up two more contributors. Oh. Okay, well, anyway, a lot to look forward to. But in the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy some of our past work, because we will. Yes, that's right. We'll be on vacation. And remember, you're listening, and so as a matter of fact, are we, to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, as you guys know, uh, I live in Connecticut. You guys were here for my wedding, I think, about 18 years ago. Um, but we moved here two and a half years ago from New York City. And, and there's a story I saw in a local paper I thought was pretty interesting. And it was talking about the New England Patriots and, and team merchandise. And how retailers are having a hard time here moving anything because they've sold so much in the years before. I mean, in essence, what they were saying was that even people here, Patriots fans, are suffering from Patriot fatigue because they already have their New England gear. They've got tons of them. They've got Brady and Gronk jerseys, Super Bowl hats. They probably have autographed Ron Borges sweatshirts. I mean, essentially, yes, they do. There's, really, <laughs> there's, there's nothing here new because the team keeps returning to the Super Bowl. Ron, I mean... Patriot fatigue in New England. Who would have thought? 
Yeah, well, look, you know, old news is not in vogue these days, and neither is history. So till these guys become history, uh, sales are going to plummet. I mean, how many more flying Elvis jerseys can you have? You know, how many more <laughs> yeah. stocking caps? You know, how many Brady jerseys? Uh, I, I'm actually surprised they haven't changed the look of the jersey every other year, so they keep selling these things. You know, right, uh, right. and and they've done it for for so long. You know, you got three generations of of people in everybody's family wearing this stuff. So it gets handed down. Uh, so, yeah, it's impacting a little bit. But uh, uh, the guys I always feel sorry for, the guys who buy the jacket that has, you know, three Super Bowl trophies. Whoops. No good. Four Super Bowl trophies. Oops. No good. Five so Oops. No good. They got, like, leather jacket, enough leather jackets to make leather pants. I guess that means we feel sorry for you, Ron. you got to turn those jackets back in. I do. Hey, uh, <laughs> Gooseman, um, you live in Dallas. And you know what? I, I do believe the rest of the country, at least most of it, outside of New England, I do believe it suffers from Patriot fatigue. Uh, I saw the front page of the New York Post the, the other day after New England won. Headline, ugh, not again. <laughs> that was a picture <laughs> of Brady. As I said, you live in Dallas. Um, because people are maybe so tired of the Patriots and Tom Brady, does Philadelphia become now, oh boy, this is tough to ask you, Goose, America's team, if only for maybe the next two weeks? Well, from what I've been reading locally on Twitter, Boston and Dallas may be the only two cities in America pulling for the Patriots. Cowboy <laughs> fans are of the belief anyone but the Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I know people here have asked me not about Tom Brady, but if we've ever seen what's happening to Nick Foles before. And you guys know, I mean, you go back to 1990 New York Giants, uh, Jeff Hostetler, of course, took over for the injured Phil Simms, friend of the show, Phil Simms, um, the 15th week of the season, and he didn't lose again. I mean, he never lost one of his five starts, and he led the Giants to a Super Bowl victory. But he had LT, and that's not LaDainian Tomlinson. He had Lawrence Taylor and one of the league's toughest defenses to help him. Now, Foles, I, mean, I realize, Gooseman, the Eagles are a top-five defense. You love defense, but it's kind of flying without a net, don't you think? Well, Jeff Hostler was never a Pro Bowl quarterback. Nick Foles was. Hostler was never a Pro Bowl MVP. Nick Foles was. This isn't Joe Pasarsic. The Eagles are wheeling out there. The last two playoff games showed that he still has a smidge of that greatness in him. And if he continues to play turnover-free football, I think the Eagles have a better shot against the Patriots than you might think. Don't remember Joe. Don't uh, mention Joe Pisarczyk around this house. My wife is a Giants fan. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, I love the Gooseman, but uh, and you're spot on with the exception of being the MVP in the Pro Bowl. It's like being the MVP <laughs> center in the under-six-foot basketball league. You know what I mean? It's like. Yeah, come on now. Uh, having said that, look, he's uh, uh, defense travels. They've got a good, solid defense, and I think he's got some pretty good, sort of under the radar receivers, better receivers than yeah, than, right. than, than you think, you know. Uh, but let's be honest about it. As for great backup quarterback stories, who's ever going to top Earl Morrill? He Spartan. did it twice. Right. Right. Spartan. We, Spartan. We'll, we'll try not to hold that against him, but uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, Keep once with the Colts. I mean, he was 100 years old when he did it with the Colts, and he was like 125 years old when he did it with the Dolphins and, and Bob Greasy. So, you know, yeah. tr- tremendous uh, uh, guy. I mean, I think he was about, I don't know, what he was like 36 years old or something, something like that when the Giants got rid of him. Uh, and yeah, he ends right. up at the Colts for no apparent reason, and next thing you know, he's in the Super Bowl. So. Ron, he was 36 when he got out of Michigan State. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was 36 <laughs> the day he was born. You're exactly right. That's hey, true. Hey. Ron, have you seen what tickets are going for? I mean, they started, I saw last week, and they started over 5000 each. Then they fell to 3800 Can you imagine paying 3800 to see this game? I would pay 3800 for two things, to see my wife and kids or to see one more game with Bobby Orr in his prime. Oh, boy, I'm glad you Other said that. Other than that, that, 
No can do. Thanks for keeping it clean, Ron. <laughs> I, I know what you thought I was going. Absolutely not. I never went to the topless donut joint you used to frequent. None of those things. I wouldn't pay thirty-eight dollars to see this game. Oh, oh, and you know the, what? You're not. You're hey, the, not. The average football fan will have a better seat on the couch watching the game right. on its fifty-five-inch big screen. The food will be better, cheaper, and you won't spend an hour in any secure lines trying to get in the stadium. You're right about that. You Excuse right me. Can that. you imagine what the prices would have been had the Vikings gotten in? You already saw it. Five thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Vikings were <laughs> supposed upwards. to be there, but I guess Tom Brady doesn't have the same cachet among Minnesota ticket buyers as Case Keenum. There'd be <laughs> there'd be ads in the Minnesota paper. The Vikings there'd be ads that said, "You know, we'll trade year supply of venison meat in your freezer for two tickets." <laughs> Signed, Ronnie. Bud Grant. <laughs> I know, uh, Ronnie. You're probably tired of seeing them extend their seasons into February. But oh. as I said in the earlier segment, you, you got to admit that the historical significance is, is, is astounding. I mean, eight Super Bowls and Brady 16 years as a starter. That's something we've never seen before in a salary cap era, and something really is in all likelihood we won't see again. I mean, people, of course, always want to know who's more responsible for the success. Brady, is it Belichick? Brady, Belichick, what is it? And and I always say, I, I sort of compare it to, you know, what happened with the Beatles. I mean, to me, they're Lennon McCartney with Robert Kraft, maybe the George Martin who makes it all happen. I mean, he financed them. George Martin produced them. But um, you like the comparison, do you, or do you have another? Well, I do have another one, uh, uh, which is uh, three guys who I think you know were geniuses, uh, the Three Stooges. Uh, you know, the <laughs> they were. They were, <laughs> they were geniuses, comedic geniuses. Uh, Are you talking about us, by the way? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, you know, maybe until a couple weeks ago they were the Three Amigos, but then that ESPN piece came out and not so much. Yeah, uh, right. But, look, it is – look, it's, it's obviously it's fantastic what they've – what they've done together. Uh, I, I think that they would agree that they've done more together than they could have done on their own, uh, any of them. Uh, you know me, I'm a player's guy, so I always put give more credit to the player than the than the guy watching on the sidelines. Uh, you know, on Sunday he's doing pretty much what Goose and I are doing, you know, just kind of charting the game. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, to me it's, it's the player first. But, yeah, look, it's fantastic. I don't buy into the whole salary cap thing because I think – Although there are some issues uh, that can arise, uh, as Belichick says, you can make that thing you know sit up and dance and sing the national anthem if you if you know what you're doing. Number one, and and number two, you can fix your problems a lot faster because you can buy somebody else's answers, which they did uh, this past year with Stephen Gilmore. Wait a minute, you don't buy into it? I covered a Forty Nineers team that have Montana, Young, and Bono at the same position. You yeah. can't do that. You can't do that. Well, first off, you don't. If you got Montana Young, you don't need Bono. But <clears throat> they could have done it. For example, next year they could have franchised Jimmy Garoppolo and kept Tom Brady if they wanted to. Yeah, do that. right. So they could do it. You know, if you if you because the cap is not a hard cap. It's a very loose fitting cap, sort of like a, a, a you know your first little league baseball cap, just a little bit bigger than your head. And let me ask you this: the Beatles analogy. So could Seth Wickersham be the Yoko Ono who destroys this group? <laughs> oh, that's Al Squero. <laughs> Al Squero is Yoko Ono, man. You know what? Let's 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 ask Seth when we see him. Hey, Yoko, come over here, could you please? Huh? What me? Hey, Gooseman. I know you're your music guy, but I want to talk about history with you because you're also a history guy. Once upon a time, you and I, and I think maybe Ron. I remember this. We sat around a table at a restaurant in New Orleans. Remember when Dan Henning came around? He was the former head coach and offense coordinator. He joined us, and there were eight of us. Anyway, uh, he said, which quarterback would you guys choose right. to, to lead your last drive with two minutes left? And man, I said, ah, United. Someone else said Montana. It was Namath and Stabler. So, Ron, you probably were there. Stabler was, was there. mentioned. But um, then there was another United. And at the end, we asked Dan whom he'd choose. And he said, you kidding me? It's only one choice. United. 
you know, I'm not so sure now. I mean, I think I might vote for Brady. Oh. Brady excels in a two-minute drill. Unitas invented it. Need I say more? <laughs> you know, Clark, you get up right now, and you go in the room next door to your office in your plush house there, and you take <laughs> yeah, down that right. Unitas jersey, and no. you haul down that autographed Colts football, and then you go no. wash your mouth out no. with soap for 20 minutes. Um, you have turned into one of these millennial wannabes oh. who thinks the latest is the greatest. Ron, the latest is the greatest. You know God, yeah. look, if Unitas was playing with the rules they were today, he wouldn't need the two-minute drill because he'd score 100 points by halftime. I mean, come on. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. He'd never throw All an right. incompletion. Nope. Exactly. New England and, and Tom Brady. I want to hear about the Eagles. You know what? We are going to hear about the Eagles when we sit down with Hall of Fame voter Paul Domowicz of the Philly Daily News. He's coming up right after this. You're listening to the Talk of Fame. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, the next couple of weeks could be big for the Philadelphia Eagles. First, because they're in the Super Bowl uh, for the first or for the third time in franchise history, and second, because their former star safety, that would be Brian Dawkins, is a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So, here to talk about both the Eagles and Brian Dawkins is the guy who presents the former safety to the Hall's Board of Selectors, and that would be Hall of Fame voter Paul Domowicz of the Philly Daily News. Hey, Domo, you're going to be a busy man the weekend of February 3rd and 4th. Yeah, yeah, very busy. <laughs> well, sound pretty excited. First. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You sound excited. Well, first thing, first things first. I'm trying to figure, I mean, trying to figure out when I'm going to sleep. <laughs> Don't do it during this right. interview, please. Right. February fifth. <laughs> yeah, um, the Eagles. I mean, when Carson Wentz went down, when he was hurt, and they had to turn to Nick Foles. It, I mean, it seemed like the sky was falling, right? What were you saying at that time? What were you predicting about what was in store for the Eagles? Well, uh, honestly, I, I, I thought they were probably going to be a one-and-done playoff team. Um, you know, I mean, I have a lot of respect for for Nick. Uh, signing him, I thought, was, was, was a terrific move because of his experience. But he would spent the, uh, you know, he hadn't thrown to any of these guys since, well, not even the summer because he had a, a elbow injury uh, during training camp. So, I mean, he had no chemistry at all with the receivers. Uh, you know, I just figured... You know, and they'd uh, make a nice playoff appearance and maybe give it a run for a game and then say goodbye. Tom, well, let's say Nick Foles is hoisting the Lombardi Trophy on February 4th. Carson <laughs> Wentz comes back. So what becomes of Nick Foles? Good question, because he still has another year left on his contract, Goose. Uh, but the, pro- the problem, I mean, I... You know, I think under normal circumstances, if Carson were completely healthy, they knew there was going to be no were going to be no problems. Uh, sure. Their affection for for Nick and for what he's done, they would probably try to find him someplace where he'd get a starting opportunity. But the situation they're going to be facing is that Carson. You know, I mean, it's not going to be uh, what's it going to be about nine months after his injury when 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 the next uh, 2018 season starts. He's probably but he's definitely not going to participate in OTAs, uh, probably not in training camp either much at all. So, uh, I mean, they need Nick to be able to start the season if uh, Carson's not ready. So now does something happen after that if, if Carson proves to be 
uh, completely healthy and, you know, before the trade t- deadline maybe, but I, I doubt it. I think Nick's going to be here next year for another year as Carson's backup. So you don't see them trading Wentz to the Giants? <laughs> <laughs> I thought Sam Bradford's going there. <laughs> uh, now, you obviously, uh, Dama, you know uh, Nick well. Uh, how do you think he's going to handle this? Situation. If if the best thing happens for him and he goes on, he wins the Super Bowl and maybe starts a season next year because of Wentz's circumstances and plays well. Uh, you know, these guys are competitive guys. I mean, is he just going to be able to say, "Well, okay, now I go back, I'll sit down, and I'm, I'm, you know, yeah, you know"? How do you do that if you're Nick? him? Well, Nick's uh, a unique guy. Um, he's he's. I mean, what's really impressed me uh, during the playoffs is just the the calmness about him, both on and off the field. I mean, at the podium, in the locker room, and on the field. Uh, you know, he had a, he had a daughter uh, in I want to say May or June uh, that he just absolutely adores. Uh, he, you know, he, his family is everything to him. He's constantly talked about, you know even when he was a backup, just going home to them uh, meant everything to him. And, you know, so, I, you know, I think, you know, I, can, I mean, he's, he'll, he loves it here. He loves Philadelphia. And not many people generally do, but he had a great experience <laughs> the first time around and uh, uh, wanted to play here. I mean, Andy offered him the backup job there again if he wanted to stay another year. Um, but he, you know, they, the Eagles offered him uh, the backup job when they got rid of Chase Daniel. So, I mean, I, you know, my guess is with Nick that that he would be fine uh, doing it for a year, and then he, would you know, want to go someplace and and get a starting opportunity. I know, you know, the years get more precious as you're as you get older in this league, but you know, I don't. He certainly wouldn't be a, cause any problems or or force their hand. We're speaking with Hall of Fame voter Paul Domowicz of the Philadelphia Daily News on the Talk of Fame Network. And you can catch us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at at talkoffamenet. And, Domo, let's get to the Hall of Fame finalist that you're presenting. That would be Brian Dawkins. Um, I know I at least consider him one of the favorites for this year's class, a class of 2018. But he does have competition at the safety position in John Lynch, who, of course, the five-time finalist, and, and like Brian, was a top-ten finisher last year. So I ask you the leading question: How do you like Brian's chances? Uh, if the people in the room recognize that he belongs in the in there, I, you know, I think he, he has a chance to get in this year. Uh, clearly, there's one there's one automatic this year, uh, Ray Lewis, so basically at least four spots left. Which is different than last year. I think last year was kind of a wide open field. You know, I don't know whether he finished. You know, none of us in that room, including Goose, knew whether he finished sixth or tenth. I mean, or ninth, uh, not tenth. I guess we knew he made the final ten and didn't survive the cut to five. So, you know, I, you know, from talking to voters along the way, I mean, I have not pressured anyone or tried to. Uh, Pitch him beyond the obvious. Uh, you know, they, everyone I've talked to tells me that he belongs in. Um, you know, I'm not a big believer in the well. One guy's waited longer than the other. I mean, when I make my when I when I'm voting, I, I basically decide who belongs in that Hall of Fame more, and I pick the top five guys. And I'm, I'm hoping everybody else in the room 
uh, does the same. You know, I mean, I'm trying to convince people just, you know, I know all about the safe, the difficulty of the safety position, but, you know, Brian Dawkins wasn't just a safety. I mean, he was, he was just a great all around difference making, playmaking defensive player, uh, that Jim Johnson built one of the league's best defenses around because this kid could do everything when he played. Um, you know, I'm hoping to be able to convey that again for the second year to, uh, to the voters and we'll see, you know, I mean, that's all I can do after that. You know, you let the chips fall where they may. Paul, I know that doc wasn't too happy about being passed over a year ago. Does, does he understand that the history of the position, the fact that, I mean, there are, he, there are, Five first-team all-decade safeties not in Canton, and four of them played before Brian. Do you think he understands the the difficulty of the position? Uh, well, I don't understand it, Goose. I'm sure he probably doesn't, uh, because the safety position has changed uh, well uh, over the last twenty years. So, I mean, you know, it was extremely difficult before that for safeties to get in because they probably weren't the best athletes on the field. Um, you know, in, in in a guy like Dawkins, you're looking at a guy that was basically a linebacker slash cornerback slash safety. Uh, he's the only defensive back in the history of the game, or at least since we've been keeping those particular stats, who's had at least 25 sacks, interceptions, and forced fumbles. Um, you know, I mean, you watched him play. I mean, this, this guy was a difference maker. Uh, he, you know, I mean... My problem with, you know, I believe John Lynch belongs in, but they're two different players. John Lynch couldn't do what Brian Dawkins did. I mean, he just wasn't athletically. He played in the cover two defense, was 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 a, a great cover two safety. Again, who I voted for as one of the five finalists. My problem with Troy Paul Abalo is going to be that I saw him play against the, the Tom Brady. Too many times, <laughs> run around like a chicken with his head cut off. So. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> well, I'm sorry. And I was like, yeah, go as Parcells, go, go by what I see. Uh, uh, another guy you're going to, I guess, at least partially have to make the case for is everyone's friend uh, Terrell Owens. Um, oh yeah. And this year, of course, he's in there. Against, <laughs> he says <laughs> uh, he's in there against Randy Moss and also against uh, Isaac Bruce. Um, Terrell's been pretty loud about. Uh, uh, how he feels what's happened thus far. Um, what do you sort of expect this year when when we're in the room and the case for those two guys in particular uh, is argued, Moss and uh, Tio? Yeah, uh, it's going to be a crazy conversation. Uh, <laughs> I think it's going to be right up there. I think it's going to be right up there with the Tagliabu conversation. <laughs> Don't say um, that. You know, because, that was like, what, it, that know, was an think, hour, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, you you know that people that, uh, and I'm not going to do this because I know where people are coming from, even if I don't agree with them. Uh, but people are going to say, well, how can you keep T.O. out because of his behavior and 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 make a case for Randy Moss? Uh, you know, again, I I, I I don't think either one should be. I don't think that should be a consideration with either one of them. I understand where people are coming from with their criticisms of T.O. Um, because of the fact that it, it kind of crossed the line into a locker room situation. But um, it was, you know, I mean, I, co- I covered him in the worst year of his career from that respect. And I, and I agree, he was a, 
a cancer for in 2005 uh, after they would not give him a, a, a contract extension following that Super Bowl year. But, you know, his numbers are just you are you can't keep him out of the Hall of Fame. But I I, told, I fully expect that he will not go in this year uh, because of the you know, I mean, it was difficult enough when Randy Moss wasn't on the ballot and now Randy's on the ballot. And, you know, it's, it's just going to be tough. And Isaac, too. Paul Domowicz, thanks for the time. See you next week. Take care, guys. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Thanks, Doma. That was Hall of Fame voter Paul Domowicz. Up next, linebacker Ray Lewis. You're listening to Talk of Fame Network. This is Willie Anderson, formerly of the Cincinnati Bengals, and you're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. There's been a lot of talk about the middle linebackers in this year's Hall of Fame class. Mostly because both are deserving of Canada. Now we had Ray Lewis with us last week, and today... Well, today we have Brian Erlacher, who, like Ray Lewis, was a Defensive Player of the Year, multiple All-Pro choice, first-team All-Decade, and one of... 15 finalists for the Hall's class of 2018. Hey, Brian, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. You got it. Um, let's start with a layup, Brian. I'll give you the easy one. Softball's coming. You're a finalist for the Hall in your first year of eligibility. Is this a big deal to you? Because we had Brett Favre on here a couple years ago, and he said really wasn't that much of a big deal to him. How about you? You know, it's exciting, and it's an honor to be – just on the, on this list, the short list of players. But it's, you know, the only time people always ask me, how do you feel? I go, I don't really think about it, honestly, until people ask me about it. And I'm pretty excited for the process to be over. <laughs> Whether I get in or I don't get in, I, I just honestly tired of talking about it to everybody because everyone makes a big deal. But I don't sit around and ponder it and think about it. Um, I was talking to Lance Briggs last week, and it's not going to change what type of player I was. It's not going to change my, I mean, nothing's going to change about my career except for the fact that if I get in or don't get in, that's, that's really it. You know, my stats aren't going to change between now and uh, Saturday. Would you guys vote? <laughs> hey, Brian, when did you start thinking about the Hall of Fame? Was it during your playing days, after your playing days, or even before your NFL days? When? It had to be after, you know, because it wasn't really a thought in my mind when I played. You know, there's so much going on during the season. You know, I, that was the last thing I was thinking about th- during my career. Um and then I, I probably about the last two or three years is when it started crossing my mind. People will start talking about it more and more, and that's probably actually the the, the most I thought about it was the last couple of years. Well, uh, last week we had Kevin Milway on who uh, confronted you a few times during your playing days, and also was uh, yeah, he was he also- was a pain in my rear end when I played against him. <laughs> well, apparently you were too, because uh, yeah, apparently you were uh, we too. Asked, yeah, we asked them, you know. Uh, you or Ray Lewis, who did he think the better player was? And he said he felt that you were a much more physical player. And that Ray kind of ran around block and was protected by his linemen. But you took people on, and he thought you were the better uh, player, uh, the better linebacker. What do you think? Well, I think that's nice, very kind words. I think it's, everyone feels differently about different players. <laughs> you know, he, he was definitely one of the best players I played against. He, he was so athletic. You know, I couldn't. He could get outside. He could also take you on and hold you like they all do. 
Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. You know, Ray, Ray did some things well. I did some things well. We were different players. I played in two different systems. I think he did as well. I mean, if you can take one of the other, it doesn't really matter. You know, he, Ray, um, Ray has two rings. You know, I will say that. I wish I had just one. But uh, it's, uh, it's tough to compare because we were in different systems. But we both did a lot of things well. I will say that. We're speaking with Hall of Fame finalist Brian Erlacher on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at, at talkoffamenet. And, Brian, uh, since we're talking about what other players said about you, no less an authority than Aaron Rodgers, who will be in Canton someday, said, quote, Brian Erlacher should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. What he did at middle linebacker revolutionized the game, unquote. You want to explain the second part of that? How did you revolutionize the game at middle linebacker? That's a good question. I mean, those are very high praise coming from you know, the, the guy who I think is the best in the business right now. I mean, Aaron's a stud. He does everything well. Those are great, obviously, runs it, never gets him in a bad play. But I think just the way I played pass defense, you know, when Lovey came in and changed our defense around and, and let us, it wasn't a traditional cover, too. I didn't run down the middle every play. There were times I had to run down the middle, but there's a lot of times I would, I would read the offense and got to kind of drop off of them. So it kind of gave me more freedom to be close to the line of scrimmage and do more things um, with my athletic ability. And also not just me, but with Lance and Nick and Pisa, whoever was playing Sam linebacker, also gave them some freedom to do some things as well. You know, Brian, back in the, in the 90s and the 2000 decade, I spent a lot of time working on the draft. And I remember talking to you at the combine, and it really intrigued me that you were coming out as a safety. And, and I was intrigued by the prospect yep. of possibly keeping you at the safety position in the NFL because you would, you talk about revolutionizing position, a guy with your size and your speed at safety. How difficult was the transition for you to go to middle linebacker? You know, I, people talk about keeping me at safety. I think that would have been a mistake. <laughs> I just don't think I was fast enough. I, I, it would have been fun, don't get me wrong, but I just don't know if I can cover some of those slot receivers. The tight ends, I think I could have covered for sure. But um, the transition from, from free safety to middle linebacker was. It was hard at first, but just because the defense in the NFL, there's so much terminology and so much stuff you have to learn. And in college, I felt like our defense was simple. You know, I just I covered the half, or I played three, or I got in the box. So it was pretty simple. But just the uh, the intricacies of an NFL defense, there's so much to learn. Uh, that's what I had a hard time with at first. Uh, you know, we, the Hall of Fame is obviously about the best of the best, and, and this, there's always second orders, even in the Hall of Fame, from what, you know, Hall of Famers that I know tell me, you know, when they get in the room together, you know, they look at each other and say, who's the best in this room? Uh, so yeah. Your position, you know, middle linebacker, uh, and I will we'll give you this caveat, you know, I grew up at a time when Dick, Dick Buckers was the guy, and uh, I was a kid yeah. in this position, and, and I wanted to be Dick Buckus, and so he'll always be the greatest, in my eyes, uh, of it's like my dad thought Joe Wilson's the greatest heavyweight, and I thought it was Muhammad Ali. That's just sort of how it is. So who was your guy? As Who's the greatest middle linebacker, in, in your opinion? In my opinion right now, I mean, it, it's, it's going to be hard for me to, to take away from Dick Bucket just because I played for the Bears. I've, I've seen a lot of footage on him. But, man, I, this is, I don't want to short myself when I say this, but Ray Lewis was pretty damn good for his there's a, there's a, I mean, for his longevity, as long as he played, you know, Dick only played for, what, 10, 11 years? You, you would know better than right. I would. I don't know the exact length of his career. You look how many years Ray, Ray played, and I will say this about myself, too. I feel like there was a period in there where I was also better than Ray. You know, there's five or six years there where we went head-to-head there, and our stats are very comparable. But uh, for the longevity that Ray played, I mean, he, he was right there with Dick Buckets, in my opinion. So, um it's just so hard to pick because of eras and players and people staying healthy. You know, Dick's health wasn't always that good. You know, at the end of his career, he could barely walk. So 
So it's just right. hard to pick. Well, it's funny you say hey. that because uh, Ray had no trouble uh, picking his guy, Ray Lewis. <laughs> he did. <laughs> yeah. He did. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's good. Some people feel that way about themselves. I, uh, I I have a hard time saying that about myself, but, you know, so it comes easy for some people. <laughs> I, I was going to say to you, full disclosure, we had Ray on last week and we asked him, he said, uh, you know, me. <laughs> I'm going to pick me. Um, there you uh, go. Since, since you mentioned Dick Butkus, Brian, I, I want to ask you, how difficult was it to move into that position, the middle linebacker position, in Chicago? We're all middle linebackers associated not only with Dick Butkus, but with Mike Singletary, Singletary. both Hall of Famers. And Bill George as well. Uh, and know, Bill George, yeah, you're absolutely right. All. I mean, the, you know, the media made a huge deal of it. When I, when I got there, it, it was a big deal because, you know, I started out with Sam Linebacker, which I was terrible, so I got replaced. <laughs> but, you know, I moved to Mike uh, like week two or three. But, you know, I, I heard about the media talked about the tradition there so much, and I didn't grow up being a barrister, so it didn't mean that much to me until I got there. Then I, that changed real quick, but... You know, I, there wasn't a lot of pressure for me because I felt like if I just went out there and did my job and, and ran to the football and played hard, I'd be fine. And it worked out pretty good for me. You know, it's just, um, it's in my position, it's the most coveted position on defense in the NFL to play middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears. I mean, what you think of all the great linebackers we've had, and that's where you want to be. If you play middle linebacker, you want to be in that category. Brian, how did Lovey Smith and, and that staff make you a better player? Man, I attribute so much of my success to them. Um, don't get me wrong. Our coach, Coach Jerron, Coach Blosh, Coach Lindsey, my first staff was unbelievable as well. But I, I played longer for Coach Smith, and I got deeper into that system, if that makes sense. I understood the defense more. I knew exactly what I was doing, what everyone else was doing. And what they did was they made sure that I knew what everyone else was doing. You know, I, There was no stone unturned. I, every, every snap, every guy on that defense knew exactly where to go. And it made playing defense easy because if you weren't thinking, you were just playing. You know, I always say I think when people start thinking on the football field, it's not good. It's not a good situation because it slows you down and you start playing a little slow. So I think if guys aren't thinking, they're just reacting, they're playing fast. And that's what we did in Chicago for all those years. We just played fast and reacted, and we got a ton of takeaways. Well, Brian, you know, I've talked to so many players over the years, and, and so many of them tell me that, you know, playing in the NFL is great, being a big college program is great. But there's really nothing like high school and being a, you know that high school football player on that high school. Yeah. So in your case, what was the bigger thrill, reaching the Super Bowl or leading Lovington High to a 14 and 0 season in the state championship? <laughs> Man, I love you said it. high school football is the greatest. It was so much fun <laughs> because I played with guys that were from seventh grade until we were seniors. It was the same class because we only had one high school where I grew up. So we stayed together all those years and went from being 0 and 6 in eighth grade. Two and five in ninth grade, and then my senior year, we were fourteen zero undefeated. So that was a pretty cool feat. You know, we all stuck together. Like I said, it was the same guys from seventh grade to my senior year, and we got better every year. Now, obviously, playing football as an adult it was pretty cool because you got paid to do it. So you know, we were actually all a bunch of big kids, is what we were in NFL at the Bears, at least. Just a bunch of guys having a good time and having fun out there. How much Brian, does, the pressure, does, does the pressures change, Brian, between those two things? I mean, it was a lot of pressure in high school. You're trying to, uh, you know, you're trying to play. Yeah, that's a big ton of pressure in high school. <laughs> but, you know, the pressure. I didn't feel different. You know, high school was, was a lot of fun. You had to worry about your girlfriend. You got to do your homework. You know, that stuff's really stressful back then. <laughs> you thought it was tough back then, but you get to the NFL and you're expected to win. You're expected to do certain things. So it's a little different when, when you're um, expected to win and expected to perform at a certain level every day. 
Hey, Brian, and, and we're speaking with Hall of Fame linebacker, or Hall of Fame actually linebacker finalist Brian Urlacher on the top. Nominee, the there you go. Yeah, nominee, <laughs> it's right. And um, I'm gonna, I started this segment by saying, um, you know, I'm going to throw you the softball and give you the easy one. Now, now I'm going to throw the hard one high and inside on you. Okay. I know you, I know you don't like to tout yourself, but if you were to stand in front of us today, all the voters, 48, and make your case, not versus anyone else, but only for yourself, yeah. tell us why you belong in Canton. What, what would you tell us? Oh, my gosh. That is a hard question. Um, that's why I have Dan Pompey. <laughs> you got a good one. You got a good one. Good man. You know, I, got, I was telling someone that I said, if it comes down to my presenter, I'm in. Because <laughs> Dan does a great job, you know. He'll tell you everything you want to know, but. I, I, I'm not a huge stat guy. I've never been a huge stat guy, but my stats are pretty damn good. <laughs> you know, you look at my stats and you compare them at certain times just to, to other guys' stats in my um, era, I guess. They add up pretty well, and they're not better than most of them. Um, I feel like I was a pretty good teammate. I don't know if that really matters in the voting process, but I feel like I was a pretty good teammate my uh, my whole career. You know, I tried to get to know everybody in that locker room from the rookie free agents to the guys who were, you know, the, the high-paid free agents. So I felt like I was pretty good to everybody. Um, never had any issues with my coaches. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't really know what, what the criteria is besides stats to, uh, to get over that hump. Brian, Hall of Fame ring or Super Bowl ring? Super Bowl. Yeah. Why? Yeah. You know, and, and I, that's a good question. I had this discussion the other day with, uh, with my wife, and she said, that, would you rather have a Hall of Fame or be a Super Bowl? I said, I really want a Super Bowl. She goes, a lot of guys win Super Bowls who don't really play. And they have rings. I go, that's a pretty good point. <laughs> because the Hall of Fame is a pretty elite class, and I, I do agree with that. Well, when you think about it, though, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, you don't sit around thinking about it all day long, but uh, I've, I've seen a lot of guys, yeah, I just heard a lot of guys say that, Brian, and then, but then when the moment comes in, they're in, and they're on that yeah. stage, and all those great players are standing behind them, and there's only 1% of the guys who ever played in the Hall of Fame, it seems to hit them, the enormity of it all. Uh, do you think I agree. Likely to happen? I don't know. Well, my wife hit me with it the other day. I was like, oh, you're right. So, you know, she, she kind of flipped my thinking real quick in about two seconds, which she does all the time. But um, I don't know. I, I mean, I hope I get a chance to find out this year. Um, you know, I've been around a bunch of guys who, who are in the Hall of Fame and have made the Hall of Fame. So um, it's cool. You know, it's a, it's a very elite class of football players uh, in, in that category, that's for sure. Brian Locker, thanks so much for the time. Best of luck with your Hall of Fame yeah. candidacy. And we'll see you in Minneapolis. We'll see you this weekend. Right. Yes, we will. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Thanks, Brian. That was Hall of Fame finalist Brian Urlacher. Up next, two-minute drill. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Wait a minute, Ron. I think we're getting ready to hear from another Patriot sympathizer. <laughs> Ah, yes, the conspiracy theorists. They just never go away. Anyway, neither does the two-minute drill. So, guys, let's get going. Whom would you trust to shut down your next opponent? Matt Patricia, Jim Schwartz, or the U.S. government? Jim Schwartz, if for no other reason than the fact he wrote the foreword for my book. (laughs) (laughs) A little nepotism. I like it. The U.S. government, if there's one thing those guys know how to do, it's make something not work. Who draws the biggest crowd next week at Super Bowl 52? Brady, Belichick, or the next clown in a dog face mask? Downtown Julie Brown. <laughs> uh, none of those. Stormy Daniels, you know she will be there somewhere. <laughs> All of her. It's the bare truth. Hey, New York Post calls Super Bowl 52 a, quote, hellhole of a Super Bowl, unquote. 
What do you call it? What did the post call the Super Bowl in New York that was played outdoors? At least this cold weather city has a roof. Exactly. Better venue than New York City in February. The Patriots are the home team in Super Bowl 52, but will wear white. Why? Knowing Belichick, he figures that will help his team blend in with the snow background in the stadium's picture window. <laughs> Very good. I don't know why, but I know it's not because of the purity of their intentions. <laughs> there used to be a commissioner's party the Friday before Super Bowls. You guys remember that. Why were they stopped? Have you seen the NFL's TV ratings lately? As friend of the show, Rod Smith, used to say, he hate me, Dita. <laughs> <laughs> NBC's doing the game, but Bob Costas is not. Why? I guess he'll be headed off to spring training to cover his first love. No, he'll be headed to South Korea to cover the Olympics. Joe Lockhart, the league's chief communications officer, he resigned. Why? Jerry Jones was playing the long game and winning. (laughs) You want to be the PR guy of that mess? Who would you suggest as his replacement? Sean Spicer. (laughs) Leslie Hammond. (laughs) That'd be Leslie Judge. When referee (laughs) Cleet Blakeman congratulated Tom Brady last weekend, what did he say? We did our part. We only penalized your team one time. Yeah, I know what he said. You like those phony inter- interference calls, TB12? Love you, oh, bro. That's the, end of the That's the end of the first half of our show, but stay where you are. We're going to hear from Hall of Fame finalist Kevin Mawai and try to figure out what to do with the Pro Bowl when we come back. You're listening to the Talk of Fame. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Welcome back to our number two of the Talk of Fame Network, where in the next 60 minutes, we're going to continue to dissect the class of 2018 candidates with second-year finalist Kevin Mawai as a guest. Kevin, of course, not only reached the top 15 a year ago, he made it to the top 10, which is really the launching pad for the next year. And with this being the next year, well, we're going to talk to him about what that means. We're also going to hear from our own Dr. Data, who unveiled his annual special teams rankings this week. That would be Rick Gosselin. And in the process, he almost shut down our website, really, because of the volume of traffic. But uh, first, first, I'd like to know what it means, guys, for Hall of Famer Dick LeBeau to be cashiered this week by Tennessee at the age of 80. Now, normally I'd say that means 18 holes every Monday for Dick LeBeau, but Goose, you know Dick LeBeau very well. Uh, you've known him for years. He doesn't seem to know what it is to, to retire, really, to take time off. Well, he may have to learn now. He's already a scratch golfer. At his age, I'd be surprised if he ever gets back in as a coordinator. You know, I could see him possibly as a defensive consultant, not full-time on the field again. But you do want him in the building in December to recite to the players, "Twas the night before." <laughs> you right. got that Absolutely. right. Absolutely, yeah. Well, Ronnie, you know, um, yeah, look at this, and there really was nothing wrong with that Tennessee defense this year. I know you saw them in the playoffs; they weren't very right. good there. But I mean, a lot of teams look bad against the Patriots in the playoffs. But they ranked 13th overall. They were fourth against the pass. Uh, they tied for fifth in sacks. I, I, I mean, this may be a stupid question, but I ask stupid questions all the time. Would you take a <laughs> chance on an 80-year-old assistant with a Hall of Fame resume if you were another head coach? Well, if his name was Dick LeBeau, I would. Look, I mean, he's in better shape than most guys that are 40 years old. Uh, he's long been one of the league's best defensive coordinators. And he had, didn't really show any signs of, 
of slippage, certainly uh, this season or any other season I can think of. You know, look, he had a tough day against the Patriots, like you said. But you go ask the number two ranked defense and the number one ranked pass uh, defense about defending Tom Brady and ask uh, how many guys are going to fire in Jacksonville. Same thing happened, you know. So I think this is more a case of a young head coach who I know well, uh, Mike Vrabel coming in. who has got his own ideas. Nothing against Dick, but I got my own ideas, my own way of doing things. They don't coincide with his. And we're going to run my defense. And okay, and before we finish here, guys, that. before we finish here, I want to pass on one more note, and this one's a sad one, but Hall of Famer and friend of the show, Chris Dolman, he's been diagnosed with a brain tumor, and he's was scheduled to undergo surgery this week to remove it. So our sincerest wishes for a quick recovery for Chris Dolman. We're thinking everybody. Up next, we're going to go to, no, we're not the Pro Bowl. Pro Bowl. Yes, we are. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, no playoff games this weekend. Um, what are you guys doing? Goose, what are you doing? Enjoying my last weekend of warm weather here in Dallas before heading to that icebox of the north for the Super Bowl. Well, we've got warm weather here on the northeast. How about you? I mean, I know you're not out shoveling snow. What are you going to be doing this weekend? I'll be freezing my butt off at uh, several <laughs> hockey rinks as my boy Jack pursues his own dreams and I pursue a hot cup of tea. <laughs> you can be freezing your butt off at several hockey, hockey rinks outdoors two weeks from now. You no, know? You're right. <laughs> anyway, you're exactly right. Um, you know, I, I didn't hear any of you guys or either of you guys mention that uh, you, you're going to watch the Pro Bowl. You, you're not going to watch the Pro Bowl, Goose? Pro Bowl? I don't watch all-star games in football, basketball, or in hockey because they aren't games. There's little effort and even less contact. You know, I may watch an inning or two of the baseball all-star game because occasionally a game breaks up and not the others. It's a waste of my time, your time, and everybody else's time. In the NFL, <laughs> all the players want to get voted to the Pro Bowl, but very few, very few of them actually want to go play the Pro Bowl. Sure. What's, what's, in the, wow. what's in the Pro Bowl is like watching Elvis imitators. What's the point if you ever saw the real thing? Good. <laughs> you know what I love about the ads that they put on? They put Pro Bowl ads on, and they have Tom Brady in these ads throwing a ball. Yeah, you know, wait exactly. a you know, so That's the one game he doesn't like to play, okay? Um, but play it they will on Saturday. Uh, but you know what, guys? Not in Honolulu. I mean, that was the only reason to go. You could go to Honolulu and spend a week there. But no, they're playing it in Orlando. And Ugh. Ron, you know it well because you were there with your son. I was there with my daughter. You could go to Disney World, Epcot, Universal, Harry Potter, or the Pro Bowl. Me, I, I think I'm going universal. Guys, I'd be headed to the Amway Center to watch the Orlando Solar Bears of the East Coast Hockey League. That's one of the best entertainment values in sports, the, the ECHL. Get my gear. Get my gear. Plenty of gear to be bought there. <laughs> the Solar Bears. I like it. You're uh, going to be going to the Solar Bears, Ron? I don't think so. Whenever I think Orlando, I think it's a small world after all. And, uh, that's where I'm going. <laughs> Right on that little thing and go down the boat thing and down the hill and around the corner. It's very great. Not too exciting. My speed. (laughs) Well, I think we talk about this the same time every year, but uh, what would you guys do to change the game? Uh, Or would you just get rid of it altogether, Ron? What what would you do? Get rid of it. I mean, look, the players don't play. Uh, uh, Half the league now makes it, uh, but nobody wants to show up and actually play in the game. It's not much of a show. It's a a sideshow. It's like the tattooed lady in the midget. Pony, you know. I mean, you know. I mean, it's like uh, come through the guy, uh, come through the air, and you know, inside you'll see the the guy who can guess your weight. You know, I mean, it's, it's silly. It's a circus. Goodbye to the Pro Bowl. 
The players don't want to go, and neither do I. <laughs> you don't want to see the guy who guesses your weight, Goose? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, one change in the game uh, this year is going to be the NFL is going to recognize a local team. Yeah, that's a local Orlando team, the University of Central Florida, nation's only undefeated major college football team. And you know what? It, it was a team that declared itself the unofficial national champ after beating who? Be the only opponent that defeated Alabama. Goose, no, not Michigan State. Auburn. Uh, if nothing else, I will say this. You, you've got to give the NFL credit for marketing. I mean, that's at least one way of selling tickets, Goose, to a game that really nobody cares about, including you. You want to sell tickets? I'd rather watch Central Florida play an NFL <laughs> All-Star team. That would entertain me because those kids will want to play and want to hit something that would be foreign in this game to NFL. <laughs> Goosebed. Gooseman bringing out the artillery today, Ron. Bringing the heat. Bringing the heat. Well, oh, let's let's then talk about something that people do care about. Maybe you guys care about. Um, that's coaching changes. Um, there have been six of them already with two more to be filled after the Patriots finish. So, Ron, I'll start with you. Um, of these, let's say eight, include Detroit and Indianapolis, um, which was the choices job in your mind? And which hire... Do you think makes the biggest difference? Uh, well, I'd say Tennessee is really because you're walking into a uh, borderline playoff team situation with a franchise quarterback and Marcus Mariota, if you can kind of get him back on track a little bit. Uh, whereas normally you're walking into a team uh, like the Browns, 1-31, uh, which, by the way, makes Hugh Jackson the best coach in the history of the NFL because if you still have a job after going 1-31, you are Mandrake the magician. <laughs> Well, wait, wait, wait a minute, Ron. You didn't pick. They have a franchise quarterback. Come on, what's wrong with you? Yeah, Someone pull your Raider membership card. What, what happened? They do have a franchise quarterback, actually, and, and a guy with a bad haircut. So there you go. <laughs> Goose, where are you going? I'd say uh, I'd say Matt Patricia lands the plum. The Lions are coming off back-to-back winning seasons and have a veteran franchise quarterback in place in Matthew Stafford. If Patricia can find a running back in the next six months, Lions are up and running as a playoff. Now we're just going to give you a disclaimer. I'm talking about the listeners here, a disclaimer. Goose grew up in the Detroit area, and he's got a Lions jersey somewhere in that closet. So I don't know if it's a night train lane jersey or something. So that's also not a surprise. Um, Ronnie, I'm going to ask not have He does not have over the clock a Kronk Boxy Team jacket like myself with my name spelled oh. wrong on it, which makes it even a better. A what? Kronk, the greatest gym in the history of boxing. Ask Goose, Goose Man about there? the Kronk. Goose, you been there? Yes, I have. I, I've also had, I have a Motown hat. There you oh, go. Motown music. There you go. All right. Go. I like it. All right. I like it. A lot to be said about Detroit. You ever go to Mario's for Italian food? Great place. Lots you get shot there. Places. Yeah, you can get shot there. It's great. <laughs> great I like it. place, yeah. <laughs> you can get shots there or get a shot Well, oh, you can right? get both, actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Ron, I'm going to ask you the layup question of the obvious one. It's going to be asked next week. Um, what impact do you think the imminent hiring of Josh McDaniels by the Colts and Patricia by the Lions is going to have on the Patriots' preparation for Super Bowl 52? I mean, I see Patricia's already told some Lions assistants they're not going to be retained, so at least he's thinking about the job. So um, is it going to have an impact or, or not? I don't think so for a couple of reasons. I mean, these guys are due diligence guys. They're going to do their job, and, and, and Belichick will be uh, making sure they're on the reservation. Plus, they've seen other guys go through it. Uh, before right. and and Josh has done it before, so they sort of know the the whole rigmarole and and when it's kind of cool to do your other work and when you have to concentrate on the team. And I think they're both going to want to go out on a high note uh, because you know, at least in Josh's case, 
he came back on a low note. So, you know, so you like to do a good job in case you need a job again. Okay, there's the cue for at least one former player went out on high note, and that was with the Green Bay Packers. And Ron wrote about him this week on our website, talkoffamenetwork.com. So, Ronnie, you want to tell us about Boy Dollar? Yeah, uh, guys, Boy Dollar has been forgotten by pro football, uh, but Bart Starr never forgot him, and neither did Vince Lombardi. Dollar was an all-decade performer at wide receiver for the dynastic Packer teams of the 60s. During that period in which the Packers won five NFL championships and two Super Bowls, Boyd Dollar was their leading receiver seven times and scored more postseason touchdowns than any other Packer. But Dollar did more than outperform his teammates in clutch situations. He outperformed nearly everyone who had played a wide receiver up to that point in pro football history. When the, when the former single-wing quarterback, uh, retired in 1971 after 12 seasons of the league. He was 10th all-time in receptions with 474 catches and 11th all-time in yardage with 7,270. He had scored 40 touchdowns and retired averaging 15.3 yards per catch. Boy Dollar was a force who only got better when the pressure of postseason began. In the legendary Ice Bowl game against the Cowboys in 1967, Goose's Hall of Fame wide receiver Bullet Bob Hayes was a sped <laughs> shell. Three catches, 16 yards on the frozen tundra. Hands shoved down his pants pockets. <laughs> Dollar hauled in four for 77 yards, averaged 19.3 a catch, and scored twice in a 2017 Packer victory, the gun of a Super Bowl one. And he was excited to go into that game because the Packers believed the Chiefs' corners were weak and they were going to do a lot of damage. Uh... And they did do a lot of damage. Unfortunately, the damage to Dallas' shoulder meant that he only lasted six plays. And in came aging Max McGee, who was so sure he would not play that he not only partied hardy all night, he forgot to bring his helmet to the bench. (laughs) So he had to borrow a helmet uh, after Dallas got hurt. Got in the game, scored two touchdowns, seven uh, catches for 138 yards, and probably should have been the game's MVP. What would Dallas have done? We don't know. But the next year in Super Bowl II against the Raiders, he had two receptions for 71 yards. That's 35.5 yards per catch, including a 62-yard touchdown that broke the Raiders' backs. There was an anonymous defensive back once quoted about Boyd Dollar who said, the only way to cover Boyd Dollar is to foul him. NFL defenders uh, weren't able to do that often enough to, uh, to stop him, but Hall of Fame voters stopped him for 43 years from getting anywhere uh, in the Hall of Fame discussion, even though he was picked on the 50th anniversary team. You tell me how that can be. Boy Dollar deserves his chance to have his case argued. Well, Ronnie, I'm going to admit I, I never liked Boy Dollar because I never liked the Packers. I grew up a Colts fan, and they were always in the way. Anyway, of course, now we got something else in the way. It's called a station break, so we're going to go to it. Thanks, Ronnie. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. I see where the Eagles are a five-and-a-half-point underdog to New England, and I also see where Eagles on Jeff Lurie said, you know what, hey, I like it. That's just the way it is. I like it. Now, why shouldn't you like it, guys? I mean, his team was a three-and-a-half-point underdog at home versus Atlanta, and it was a three-and-a-half-point underdog at home versus Minnesota. So, why shouldn't he like being in a dog? I mean, to me, it just gives the Eagles another chance to play the disrespected Cargoos. Any and every team that plays the Patriots has the luxury of playing that disrespect card. So, why should the Eagles be any different? But being disrespected is one thing. Beating Tom Brady and the Patriots, another thing entirely. <laughs> Thank you, Goose Man. And so is understanding of being an underdog. I love Jeff. He's a golfing pal of mine, Jeff Lurie. Uh 
but he's never been an underdog in his life. His grandfather founded General Cinemas, which was the fourth largest chain of movie theaters in the country. Uh, he owned wow. publishing houses and insurance companies, a Pepsi bottling operation, and then they also had a global consulting firm, whatever they do. In my world, that's not an underdog. That's an overbite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know about you, Ron, but I, I honestly, I think this game's going to be a lot closer than most people, maybe the odds makers think, mostly because I, I really don't think this is a great New England team, right. uh, outside of the fourth quarter, that is. But uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe just a field goal decides it, uh, as it did in the Patriots' first two Super Bowl wins with Tom Brady and a defense led by Ty Law. That was a Throwing that for you, Ron, so you can right. present Ty Law. Future Hall of Famer, um, Ty Law. Future Hall of Famer. <laughs> just packing himself in ice again. Um, which is a way, actually, of now backing into a broader talk, topic, and that's special teams in general. Um, I, I talked about field goals, special teams. You know what? Our Rick Austin put he puts together every year something very cool, and it's a special teams ranking that he releases really about this time every year, and he did it uh, on our website, talkoffamenetwork.com, and it's so comprehensive that – Coaches are always clamoring for it, and, and that's the truth. I know that. And Monday Night Football advertised it, and, and that's also true. That was in December, and I think it was the Patriots-Dolphins um, uh, game they did it. And, and we pushed it this week on our website, and <laughs> it broke the bank. I went with the site almost went down. Shut down the, the site. Yeah. But, um, Goose, you want to explain the background of the study? I mean, how you started it, when you started it, how you tabulate results. Just give us sort of the comprehensive uh, overview of it. Sure. I was I was a beat reporter for the Kansas City Star back in 1980 covering the Chiefs, and I got to know Frank Gans, a, a guru of the special teams world. And back then, there were only a handful of special teams coaches in the league, and Gans devised a rating system to determine where his Chiefs stacked up with the rest of the league. He gave it to me, and I started doing the rankings that season. Back then, the ratings consisted of 14 categories in the kicking game. Over time, I've added eight new categories, such as takeaways, giveaways, and penalties. And the cumulative score for each team dictates their standing. Uh, the team with the most takeaways on the special teams gets one point. The team with the fewest takeaways gets 32 points. So the lower the score, the better. And, and who won it this year? Tell our listeners who, who was the leading dog. Well, the Rams won it, and what I you know, discovered was um, – the success of the Rams wasn't all the offense of Sean McVay and the defense of Wade Phillips. Uh, neither one ranked as high league-wide as John Fossil's special teams. Yet the Rams were far and away the best special teams in the NFL this season. Right. So it was no surprise to me that their kicker, punter, kick returner, and deep snapper all were invited to that meaningless Pro Bowl. <laughs> Rounding out the top five were Kansas City, New England, Rods, New England, Baltimore, and Dallas. And Ravens, under head coach John Harbaugh, have always set the bar high. It's a sixth consecutive season the Ravens have finished in the top five. Okay, Goose, may you tell us about the big winners? Were there big losers as well? Giants. <laughs> the wheels <laughs> oh, fell God. off offense, oh. defense, but Everything. nothing like special teams. They had the worst special teams in football, and it was by a wide margin, almost <laughs> a record bad you know, by special teams. Yeah. Well, Ron, um, as you know, because you've got the team for uh, decades, uh, no surprise that New England's up there. I mean, you've got a head coach who not only embraces special teams, but he believes strongly in their ability to change games, and they demonstrate it week in and week out. Well, you're right. I mean, he began as a special teams coach. Uh, he did it for some time. Uh, he understands the way he can swing field position. Uh, you know, in fact, uh, uh, against Jacksonville, his decision to punt three times from the Jacksonville territory in the second half, I would argue, yeah. ultimately won the game uh, because it it eventually resulted little by little by little in the winning drive having to only go 30 yards uh, because that's 
you know, where they ended up with the ball to start their drive without a turnover. It was right. just punt it, back them up, punt it down, back them up, and sure enough, eventually the guy, you know, shanks one uh, and only gets out to the 50, and Amendola brings it at 20 yards, and boom. So he's a, always been a huge advocate of, uh, of special teams. And, and the interesting thing to me, and I'd like to hear what Goose thinks about this, is they're high without really having particularly good return game. Neither the right. punt returns or kick returns are, are much of anything, but they're high those, in everything else. Those coverage units were special. Yeah. They were no the question. only team ranked top five, both kick and punt coverage, and that, that goes a long way in winning football games. Hey, Goose, was there anything there you found that uh, you weren't expecting? Yeah, the NFC champion Eagles took a surprising dip from first in 2016 Whoa. to 13th in 2017, but Philadelphia was riddled, as you guys know, with injuries this season, and that right. – took its greatest toll on special teams because when backup players are forced to become starters, that, that forced the special teams coach to go with less experienced players on his various special teams units, and younger players generally struggle. Well, Goosey, you know, I was asking you, is there anything you weren't expecting to find? There's something I never expected, and you mentioned John Harbaugh. Um, I really thought a special teams coach would be hired as a head coach after John won Super Bowl forty eight, um, and I'm not including... John Fossil, he was a fit interim last year in, in L.A. after Jeff Fisher is fired. But, I mean, these are assistants who deal with everyone on the team. I mean, everyone, offense, defense, you name it. And and they're constantly forced to think on the fly. I've got to adjust, got to do things uh, quickly. Uh, I, I really thought, Ron, that the John Harbaugh's success would open the door for others. But so far it hasn't. Right, and that's because uh, what our owners know about special teams. Or about football, for that matter. I mean, they think offense is, is all is all, and defense is thrilling if it sacks the quarterback and uh, punting out of bounds f- uh, at the five-yard line or dropping a kickoff at the one-yard line, not too exciting. Uh, so, you know, they look down there and uh, uh, what in the name of White Shoes Johnson do those guys have to do with running a football team? You know, get me a coordinator. Right, right. And, and as you pointed out, these guys are coordinating much more than, than anybody else on the team. So uh, f- they have to have tremendous organizational skills which kills a lot of these guys right off the bat. So yep. I, I would think they would look harder, but they don't. Goose, if you were to grant head coaching interviews to, let's say, three special team coordinators, or maybe one, I don't care, uh, who, would, who would they be and, and why? Dave Taub would be on the top of my list, the Kansas City Chiefs special teams coach. He's, he's even had a handful of head coaching interviews. John Fossil, he now has head coaching background. Mm-hmm. He's deserving. And Rich Basaccia, who just left the top five special teams with Dallas to rejoin John Gruden's staff in Oakland. You know, they were together in uh, Tampa. But those are my three. Okay. Well, anyway, Goose, uh, on behalf of everyone, thanks for compiling a list that I know everyone cites, but only you, yes, you, compose. That was really that was great stuff. Um, well, speaking of assistant coaches, uh, Rick Goslin also ran a poll last week on our website. That would be com, asking readers to list the league's best assistant this season. I didn't see any special teams guys there, but I did see one landslide winner. And Gooseman, his name was? James Schwartz, the defensive coordinator of the Eagles. Although there was a late push for Vikings offensive coordinator Pat Shermer after the Giants named him their <laughs> head coach. They got the ballot box cooking up there in New York. But, um, <laughs> but what what Schwartz, Schwartz did with that defense, with that pass rush, I, I think that put the Eagles in position to play for Lombardi Trophy. And, and he's another guy who deserves a second shot as head coach. Ron, who you have chosen? Um, you know, it's sort of hard to say, but you know, in some ways, uh, it's a lo- you know, it's a long shot guy that nobody thinks of. Joe Judge, the Patriots special teams coach. I mean, he's he's put together these tremendous units, as as Goose points out, top five in kick coverage and in punt coverage, mm-hmm. and at the at or near the top of his ratings 
without really having an explosive return man to get you anything. You know, so I mean, he had to really, uh, uh, you know, bring that together. And he's used a lot of different players. You know, he loses uses a lot of their starting players, which a lot of guys don't do. So uh, I think he'd be kind of an interesting uh, candidate. He's never going to get a chance, I wouldn't think, but. Uh, if I wanted to bring the law, I might go get the judge. <laughs> well, there's the signal that we're going to get more from our judge, and that would be our own Hall of Famer, be Rick Dawson, a.k.a. Dr. Data Canton, class of 2004. Goose, this is your entire segment. This is all you here. Anyway, um, what's on your mind this week? What's going on? Well, you guys remember when Miami of Ohio was considered the cradle of coaches, Paul Brown, Woody Hayes, Eric Arsene, Bo Schembecker. Well, there's a new cradle now north of the old cradle. It's Michigan State. Yes, my alma mater, Michigan State, that's weaving one success story after another in the coaching profession these days. You know, start with Nick Saban, who put his name on the map as a head coach of Michigan State, taking the Spartans to four bowls in his five seasons. Well, he leaves East Lansing after the 1990 season to go to LSU, where he won the first of his five national titles. So do you know who was on that last Michigan State staff of his? There was a graduate assistant named Josh McDaniels and a student assistant by the name of Adam Gase. McDaniels, of course, is the offensive coordinator of the Patriots and the head coach in waiting of the Colts. Gase is now the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Do you know who also spent three years on Saban's staff at Michigan State? Pat Shermer, who is now the head coach of the New York Giants. That's three of the NFL 32 head coaches who started their coaching careers in East Lansing, and the other 29 wish they could have spent some time on the nation's most beautiful <laughs> campus. Also serving on that Saban staff, that last Saban staff was Mark D'Antonio as defensive back coach. He's now the head coach of the Marty Spartans, with whom he's won to 100 games, taking him to the Rose and Cotton Bowls in addition to the college football playoff. <laughs> Nick Saban can certainly coach, and he certainly knows what a good assistant coach looks like. So does Michigan State, and now the NFL as well. <laughs> well, Coos, man. Wow. <laughs> uh, it, it, it sounds to me like Nick Saban is the thread through all this. So can LSU and Alabama claim that they're the cradle of this since the hand that rocks the cradle is Nick get, Saban? Ryan, you get to start your career at one place. And for McDaniels, Gase, and Schumer, it wasn't LSU or Alabama. So rock that cradle, Ron. Robert, strike up the band. <laughs> oh, no. Get those guys no, out of here. You Spartacus. know Spartacus. Goose, Goose, you're out of here, too. Spartacus. Kevin Mawai's in the house. <laughs> I don't want to get in his way. So let's take a break. When we return, we're going to sit down with a Hall of Fame finalist and see what's on his mind. Get that tube let's out of the way. Network. <laughs> Please. <laughs> This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we told you that all decades have become wise in the building. You know what he is? Just back from coaching at the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl last weekend. That's right, right, Kevin? Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, it was the seventh year of the, the Collegiate Bowl put on by the NFLPA, and typically that bowl game gets like, you know, fourth mid-rounders to, to free agent type guys. And uh, mm-hmm. I think last year they had 56 of their guys that made the rock, made in the NFL roster this year as rookies. And um, so, yeah, the, the bowl has, you know, it was great an opportunity to go to coach some of the young guys, have an opportunity to play in the NFL. 
Well, we're glad you're back, and you're, we're glad you're back with us. Kevin, of course, is a Hall of Fame finalist for the second straight year, and it was this time in 2017 he not only made the cut to 15 but got through to the final 10, which i got to tell you is an achievement for a first-time finalist. Now, of course, he's not only knocking on Canton's door, but he's knocking on ours, and we're happy to have you with us, Kevin. Hey, first off, having gone through the wait a year ago for the first time, and I'm talking about the Hall of Fame, how tough was it? Yeah, you know, it was. I just kind of went along for the ride. I didn't know what to expect. That you know, I may have heard, you know, stories of how they do it, knock on the door versus the phone call, and stuff like that. Now sitting in that hotel room for three hours, that you know, you kind of get a little anxious a little bit. But you know, you don't want to order room service because you don't want them knocking on your door and it not be Mister Baker. And you hope the phone doesn't ring. And, you know, so you kind of, like, don't tell anybody what room you're in except for the people in the Hall of Fame that know. And you really, I mean, we sat in the room for three hours and just kind of watched TV. And, and, you know, by the end of the night, we were, we were pretty hungry because we did. I mean, really, we did not order room service. We didn't want a false knock on the door. But, you know, to be there with my wife and my daughter and my, my mom and dad, it was nice. It was fun. And, uh, you know, and afterwards, you know, you don't make it, and some guys are obviously upset, and there's some guys that are just kind of like, whatever, you know, and you know, guys have been through the process before, and so you kind of take all that in and just, you know, so well, maybe next year's the year. And so, uh, you know, that's the kind of approach I take, enjoy the process and, and not to get too anxious about something that I have really no control over anyways. Kevin, how deflating was it to hear the phone ring? You know, it, it really wasn't. I mean, it, there was a little – you know, you have a little disappointment, but then you kind of get, you know, this is what happened, you know, this kind of conversation in the room, and, you know, you get a feel for it. But the reality of it is, and, and the approach that I took was I made the top 15, and I found out that I was in the top 10. That puts me in the best 400 players that ever played the game in the NFL. And so that's pretty special company. And so, so in that perspective, you kind of like, all right, I'm disappointed, but I'm still in the conversation of one of the best that ever stepped foot on the NFL football field. Is there anything you learned, because we've asked a few guys about this uh, who are in the same position, is there anything you've learned uh, about the the whole day uh, that you'll do differently this time over a year ago? You know, some guys say they just going to stay busy, you know, although if you're in Minneapolis, I don't know how busy you can <laughs> <laughs> well, going to go for yeah. a walk, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, they, well, they, you know the, the Hall of Fame wants you in your room by a certain time, and it's usually around 2 o'clock. And, and so that morning, like last year, really I just spent time with my, my wife and my kids. My daughter is a swimmer, so we were up on the rooftop swimming pool. She's had a swim practice, and I'm starting to count laps for her. And, you know, since the day doesn't change, I'm still a dad, so I take care of my business, and and that's what I did last year. This year, being in a frozen Minneapolis, yeah, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, <laughs> download some movies, some Netflix or something like that, and uh, just enjoy it. But, I mean, seriously, the one thing I will do, I will get food and have it in my room for that three-hour stretch because from that room, people, you, know, you go from knowing or not knowing, within 10 minutes you whisk away into a, a, you know, a van to go to the NFL awards night. And um, so there's a long gap there where you're not eating anything or not drinking anything. But that's the one thing I learned from a practical standpoint. But from the other stuff of, you know, how do you – like I said, it's out of my hands and it's out of my control. And 
I, I just hope that my presenter does a great job. Gary Myers has done a really phenomenal job over the last few years working with me, and and um, I know he'll do a great job in that room. And uh, so it's in his hands. And, and like I said, what I did on the field speaks for itself. The type of leadership that I provided in my locker room, that's something that, that he'll have to share and the other riders that cover me. And, um, again, I keep thinking I'm one of the 15, which makes me one of the best 500, 400 guys that ever played the game. We're speaking with Hall of Fame finalist Kevin Mawai on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at, at talkoffamenet. And, Kevin, since you mentioned Gary, and we know Gary very well, um, as you mentioned, he's going to make your presentation. You got a good one to argue your case. He did Parcells. He did Curtis Martin. He's a good presenter. Um, but my question to you is, is there something you think voters might not know about you that Gary should include? And if there is, what would it be? Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, the conversations that I had with Gary since last meeting was, or since last year's vote, was the fact that a lot of the reporters and the writers that are voting, they knew who I was as a football player, but they didn't know who I was as a teammate. As you know, being in the locker room and the leadership that I provided for all three of the teams that I was on, and that was something that kind of until you're in the room or you're on a national stage in some form or fashion, people don't really know about, you know. And and so I, I think Gary, the way he presented it to me last year and explained it, was something that, that really helped last year because it was kind of like light bulbs. Off. Oh, wow, we didn't know that about Kevin. And like I said, most of it's in the locker room type stuff that nobody really knows about. And I know some people say it's all about what you do on the field, and then there's others who think, you know, being in a locker room, your teammate type of stuff is an extension of you as a player. And so, you know, and here's the thing. I know I did things the right way in the locker room. I also know that I didn't write the way on the football field. And so my resume speaks for itself. And again, it, I'm not one to sit there and pump my chest and say, look what I've done. This is why I deserve to get in because I'm no more deserving than some of them other guys. And I'm never going to look down on the guys that got in if I don't get in. It's just you know, I think, again, I keep telling you, I'm happy and I'm thrilled to death to be in the top 15. And I was, I was extremely excited to find out I was in the top 10. And as Mr. Baker tells us, is if you're in that room in that 15, there's like an 85 to 90% chance that you're going to get in in the next couple of years. And so I take that and, like I said, we just go, go along for the ride and enjoy the moment, enjoy the festivities at the Super Bowl City. Hopefully, this will be the last Super Bowl I go to that. <laughs> <laughs> that I have to go through the process, but if it's not, it's not. You know, it, it's not going to. You know, it's, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to view the process any differently this year than I did last year or next year if I don't make it this year, because it's a hard task to do for you guys that are in that room. And I, you know, I, I sit on LSU's Hall of Fame committee. I sit on the Polynesian you know, Pro Football Hall of Fame committee, and. Those are hard enough alone. I can't imagine you guys and the rest of the voters choosing the top five, eight guys to go into the you know, Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's going to it's a tough task. Hey, Kevin, this committee has voted only one center to the Hall of Fame in the last twenty years, and that was Germani Dawson, and he had to wait four years for his bust. So, what are the voters missing at the center position? Well, I think they what they really don't is now more than ever they recognize the importance of the pivot position out on the offensive line. And I think back when Damani played, and even before him, it was Dwight Stevenson and then Mike Webster. Nobody really viewed that position as the 
the pivot position for the offensive line or the most important position on the offensive line because it was just kind of like a filler spot between two good guards or great tackles or whatever. And I think and I believe that since I've played the game, what I was able to accomplish as a player, what I did physically on the field, but the intellect to which I played the game and I called the defenses and I called the protections and the intelligence that I played the game with, I think that that's more recognized now than it was 15 years ago. And you, know, you look in the papers and you read about how smart this guy was, how smart a player Jeff Saturday was, how smart you know guys like that were. And so the intelligence part becomes a big factor in the, in the effectiveness of the offensive line and the center in particular. And I think that's the part that has been missing for the years past. Um, but like, you know, I was at where I was when Damani got in. I was extremely thrilled. I was like, Damani, I told him thank you. I said because if you don't get in, I never get in. <laughs> and um, because he was the guy, he was the torchbearer for that position for a number of years when he took over from Mike Webster. And then of course Dwight Stevenson was a phenomenal athlete. He wasn't a big guy, but he was able to do things physically that that you know nobody could do during that time. And then. Of course, I come along and was able to do some of the stuff he did and then some things that he never tried. And um, so, you know, I, I think that, again, the importance of the center position, asking the quarterback that's played a game at a high level or, you know, asking the offensive line coach who's had a really good center, and they'll tell you that, that the way they view the center position now is so much more than it was 15 years ago. I want to go back to something you said a minute ago, Kevin, uh, that you would, when you said you would never view yourself as more deserving than any of the other guys uh, on the list or in the room uh, if they go in. And it was, to me, you know, very refreshing to hear that because you hear so much of the other tub-thumping of, you know, this is the greatest injustice in the history of injustice if player X doesn't get in. Um, does that kind of stuff bother you as all at all, just in a general sort of way, not with any particular uh, guy, but there's been an increasing amount of millennial whining in recent, in yeah, recent years? You know, I, know, I know what you're saying. And, you know, the guys are on this list now of my contemporaries, guys that I played in the league with, came in with, or we crossed paths. And, and, but even because here's, here's my deal is that an offensive lineman, can't be judged on stats. You know, we in in the public eye, we're either judged by how many sacks we give up or how many penalties we create, <laughs> and not necessarily by what we do. We live in an, anonym, in an anonymity, and if we're doing our job and we're doing it really, really well, the fans never even pay attention to us. And so, but we we live in that area in that dark space that, that we're okay with it. And that's our job for our entire careers are to serve somebody else, is to make somebody else shine, to make a running back, to make Curtis Martin get the thousand yards, or to keep Chad Pender and Vinny Testaverde, or any, to keep them clean. And so when they, when they have success, we know that we've done our job. To me, it's foreign because you don't have that unless you had me protecting the guy that's throwing you the ball. And so we're all, you're just a small part of a big team. And that's just my mentality. It's the way I played as a player. The team is, is bigger than you are. And my job is, and your job is to do your part to make the team great. And if your team is great, then you're going to get recognized for it. And, um, and there's a lot of guys that are great football players that get recognized individually 
but there's guys around them to help them get there. And, and that's the biggest issue I always have, whether, and, and I always have been that way as a team player. You're only so great because of what your teammates helped you do. Now, there's phenomenal athletes that can do remarkable things, regardless of who their teammates are. And I'm not discounting that. But just know you play a game with 11 other guys on the field that are helping you achieve your milestones. And, and so that's, that's my take on the whole deal, and that's, what I, that's how I feel about it. Kevin Hawaii, thanks so much for the time, and we look forward to seeing you in Minneapolis next week. I'm looking forward to it, guys. Thank you, and good luck. I know you guys got a tough task ahead. Good luck to you. Thanks, thanks Kevin. Kevin. Good luck. That was Hall of Fame finalist Kevin Hawaii. Up next, it's the two-minute drop. Uh, this is Jesse Sopolu of the San Francisco 49ers, and you're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, as you know, referee Gene Steratore will officiate Super Bowl 52, and he's here to deliver a message. That's the two-minute warning. Yes, sir, thanks, Gene. That means we're almost out of time, so let's get to the two-minute drill. Who has a better chance of winning at his next stop? Matt Patricia in Detroit or Josh McDaniels in Indianapolis? Patricia, he inherits a team coming off back-to-back winning seasons with a franchise quarterback in place. Exactly, Patricia, because he had a quarterback whose arm actually works. (laughs) What can Mike Vrabel do in Tennessee that Mike Malarkey could not? Pick a coaching staff that ownership likes. I know Mike well. Tell a good joke. (laughs) (laughs) The Grammys are this weekend. Nominate this year's entry for Best NFL Song. Philadelphia Freedom by Elton John. In honor of Tom Brady. Under my thumb. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. Continue. Hey, Dilly Dilly or Philly Philly? This week it's Philly Philly. Next week it could be the beat of the Tom Tom. Neither, as far as Ann Hour Bush is concerned, it's money, money. (laughs) There's a 750 foot zip line crossing the Mississippi in downtown Minneapolis. What are the chances you'll be on it? There's a better chance I'll walk across the frozen Mississippi than fly across it. <laughs> Since I lo- no longer take acid, there's absolutely no <laughs> chance that I'll do that. <laughs> True or false, Jacksonville picks up the $19 million option on Blake Bortles. True, he earned his chance to play with his playoff performance. False, Tom Coffin will find a way to get a long-term deal that means he doesn't pay that cash. Hey, what happens if T.O. fails to reach the Hall of Fame this year? There'll be a lot of us at the door quoting Lawrence Olivier from the Marathon Man. Is it safe? <laughs> yeah, we know it's going to be the nuclear option from Mike Florio's Pro Football Babble website. <laughs> and what happens if Randy Moss doesn't make it? T.O. will be a happy guy. <laughs> Tantrum on camera. Nick Foles, Ben Folds, or John Files? The only one who spent any time on that Michigan State campus, Nick Foles. Forget all those people. Sylvia Foles, MVP of the 2015 WNBA Finals with a Minnesota link. That's the end of the game. We'd like to thank Ray Lewis, Kevin Wine, Paul Domwich for joining us, you for listening to us, and Robert Harris Jr. for producing us. If you'd like to hear this or any podcast, just go to our website. That'd be talkoffamenetwork.com. Or follow us on iTunes or your podcast app. Otherwise, tune in next week to this station at this time. We'll be here. We hope you will be, too.